Profiles in Teaching with Technology is a podcast series created by Music First, a company dedicated to providing world-class cloud-based tools, content, and classroom management platforms to music teachers around the world. Each episode features a K-12 music educator who uses technology to enhance their teaching in innovative ways. We'll discuss the what, why, and how of their technology integration and hopefully share some teaching strategies that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms, as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. Michael Albertson is the founding music department chair at the Geffen Academy at UCLA in Los Angeles, California. This is Michael's 16th year as a music educator, 11 of which were spent in the New York City public schools. His educational interests are student composition, diversity, equity, and access. As a writer, Michael's articles have appeared in the Music Educators Journal, the Finnish Journal of Music Education, and the School Music News. He has presented at conferences around the United States, as well as in Belgium, England, and Finland. Michael earned his doctorate in music and music education from Teachers College, Columbia University, in 2015. I am sure that you'll agree that Michael is doing some truly innovative things in his classroom, specifically with student composition. It is my distinct honor to have him as a guest. Okay, well, thanks for joining us, Mike. Really great to have you on our podcast. And uh, I want to start off by asking you, the last time I saw you, I believe, uh, was at Teachers College at your doctoral defense, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, the, the work that you did on that. But then I heard a, you know, a couple months later that you made this fantastic move out uh, to Los Angeles. So why don't you tell us a little bit about um, where you started, where you, what you were teaching in New York, and, and, and what compelled you to move out to Los Angeles. Yeah, again, thanks for having me. The, um, it, that, that gap actually between Teachers College and coming to California was actually two years. Oh, wow. <laughs> Although looking back, it felt a lot shorter. Um, so, you know, I was graduating from Teachers College, looking for, um, you know, a university appointment I thought was going to be my trajectory. Um, and then... Uh, ended up in a public school in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. uh, and then I switched to a public school in Manhattan for a year. Um, and at the same time, I heard about this new school, the Geffen Academy at UCLA in Los Angeles. And um, I I spoke with the head of school um, just in an informal conversation, and I was impressed what I heard about the school, so I decided to apply. And um, it it really just uh, appealed to my interests as an educator. Yeah, and um, I've been visiting LA for about ten years uh, to see my wife's family. And uh, once I was out here, I needed no convincing uh, for the weather. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you don't miss the snow? No, no, I really don't. Okay. The, I don't miss the seasons or anything. Now this is a. It rains for four days here, and I was like, okay, that's enough. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I've been I've been following you on Facebook for years, and I love seeing your photos. And I I, I admit I'm jealous and. I'm looking forward to coming out and visiting you in a couple of weeks because we're about to get trounced by a snowstorm here in New York. Yeah, and that's the storm we just had like two days ago. So All enjoy. Right. Okay. <laughs> well, so let's get down to it. I really am fascinated about the program 
the music program at uh, this Geffen Academy I'd lo- at, at UCLA. I'd love to know a little bit more about it, uh, mm-hmm. kind of the mission behind it and what you're doing there. Sure. So um, I think to understand the work I'm doing here, uh, I have to just give a little bit of my background in that I have 11 years of public school experience in New York. Uh, I was at uh, high school in Queens for nine years before I went to teacher's college. Um, and I think since honestly my teenage self when I was a freshman and I felt like there was this uh, roadblock to doing, I liked playing classical saxophone and I liked playing rock guitar. And it seemed that in my mind, those two things could happen at the same time. Um, but you know, institutional powers that be kept showing me that no, those two things weren't possible. Um, so I think since way back when I always sort of envisioned a music program that appealed to everybody's musical interests. Yep. Uh, and then throughout my teaching career was trying to rewrite curriculum, incorporate new classes, uh, be it protest music, be it jazz band, be it uh, world music drumming, um, just to appeal to a larger group of students. Uh, so having the chance to be the founding um, music department chair at Geffen Academy at UCLA, uh, gave me the chance to take these thoughts that I've had for the past 20 years. And instead of trying to make that slow incremental change, I got to just build it from the foundation and say, what do I believe a music program should be um, that best serves children? So our entire music program grades six to 10 at this point, and eventually will be a grade six to 12 school um, is based around student uh, student composition. So every student is a musician and every student is a composer is one of our taglines for our music department. Oh, that's fantastic. Every student, uh, grade six to eight is in a music rotation throughout the year for a trimester. Um, and they do uh, digital composition on Soundtrap. We use note flight. They're playing drums. They are playing keyboard. They're doing, um, music theory as it applies to those projects. Um, And then as they move into high school, these become electives. So um, we offer right now an instrumental performance ensemble, which I guess would parallel to like a wind ensemble or jazz band. Okay. However, we only use published music as the starting point. So we'll play a Sousa march and then we'll use it, we'll analyze it. And then the students are composing a march from what they've learned from interpreting this march and others. Um, and we have our first concert coming up in February that's going to feature uh, three original student pieces. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And then our songwriting and recording class is really our new, um, our new thing this year we're really excited about. We're lucky enough to have a recording studio in our space. So uh, 13 of my 10th graders are each writing an album's worth of their own original music. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it on Pro Tools and mixing and mastering it. And um, we're going to have an album release at the end of May, hopefully. Oh, that's that, man. I'm jealous. I will tell you straight up. That is that sounds like a dream gig. I totally get why you uh, you made the jump to the to the, the West Coast. That's that's extraordinary. So. I'm fascinated about the instrumental music program because I'm sure, Mike, that you know that, you know, in the United States, uh, at least, instrumental music seems to be the the huge thrust for the vast majority of music programs. It's what we identify, um, you know, music programs as, is how the band, the choir, the orchestra, um, and and performing, you know, high high, you know, technically difficult uh, literature uh, that the kids may not themselves connect to, um, you know, on a, yeah, I'm going to go home and listen to that on an, uh, on my headphones. 
Um, but I love the idea of them. I mean, is that the primary focus is that they're learning some repertoire, but then they're writing the rest? Exactly. Yeah, that is. And um, that really permeates all our classes. So we have another high school class called Musicking, um, inspired by the Christopher Small book. Yep. Um, and that's really a chance for students with different music backgrounds. Uh, when I think of my students, even from last year, we have students who've never taken music formally in school, uh, sitting next to people who've played piano for maybe 10 years. Right, right. Um, so another tenet of our program is we don't have auditions. No one ever has to audition to join the music program. Um, there are prerequisites as you move up into you know higher higher grade levels, but um, I actually think that's a strength of ours is having a novice sit next to someone who's played this because what they can learn from each other and what they teach each other, be it in digital composition or yep. uh, instrumental performance, um, is a huge asset. And when you put them together in groups, uh, you know, mini garage bands to compose their own music just continuously blown away by what they produce. So there is active, um, what, what, what some refer to as modern band, but, but what I referred to and probably you as well is, you know, they're, they're playing rock band, they're playing hip hop, they're playing their, their, the music that they love in that class or in all classes. Um, how would I describe that? It, it's, they have the opportunity. So we definitely, I, to say that it's student choice, of course, we put a lot of student choice in there, but there are certain right. curriculums we're hitting. So there are things that I curate um, that I think would be enriching uh, right. musicians. But uh, when they're composing their own music, they, they most of the time have uh, free reign. To that end, you know, there are a few students who operate solely and say, okay, I'm going to record a hip hop album or I'm going to record a rock band thing. Yep, yep. Um, but as you've probably experienced too, the students, I feel like students now are less, um, less aware, not aware, but less um, bounded by genre. Um, they're just producing music that I think I would say, oh, well, I can identify that as rock and that's jazz. And they're just like, well, I wrote a song. Um, yep. So that's great. That's great. Wow. Um, so oh, that's just fascinating. I, I cannot wait to visit you to see this live. It just, it, it's, it's a really uh, great model, Mike. I'm, 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 I'm just really impressed. So um, I would love to get your take then on, or, or how you got interested in technology and how you started to integrate it into this program. You know, where, where are you coming from in terms of your thoughts? You know, why is this, why is music technology a good fit for your program? Um, I think it's, I, I've been thinking about this and I was speaking to my students yesterday, uh, this week in the recording studio about just the role of technology in what we do. And I'd asked them the question, like, what is it before we got into Pro Tools and doing digital instrument inputs and uh, tracks, asking them, what is it that you want technology to do for you? So I think the way we approach it here is that you know, we're composing music, we're performing music, we're doing all the things that musicians do, and then technology is just integrated into all of that. Um, and I would say, you know, on my personal journey, it was from being, you know, a, a rock guitar player and just looking through like musician friends magazines and, yep. <laughs> and just looking at the gear going, that looks cool, I would love to play that. Um, and then I remember in high school, there was a defunct recording studio with a, a reel to reel and the teacher let us just clean out the room and see if we can make it work. Um, so in my formal training, I've only had a little bit, um, 
of technology experience, your course um, at Teachers College being one of maybe three or four mm-hmm. in all I was in university. Um, but I just think technology is like, is saying that technology is incorporated into my program is saying that the study of scales or the study of music history is it's just part of what we do as musicians. Yep. Um, so we just try to find ways to help us meet our musical goals. Oh, that's great. So it, it, I love that approach. I wish everyone had that approach. So you're, you're not treating it as this special thing that you're bringing in, but rather you're using it to achieve the, the, the program goals. And it, it's like, you know, what I've been saying for, to people forever is that it's like just another, any other tool. You know, it's like uh, having the staff writing tool for your board. You know, you don't, you know, it just makes that five line writing easier. Um, you know, and, and if you want kids to start composing, the easiest way I would argue is, is to get them on these tools. And there's so many different, you know, kind of tracks for them to compose without either having a ton of background knowledge or zero background knowledge and getting some results that make them happy and make them feel that, yeah, this is what I want. This is what I'm imagining in my head and this is, and I'm getting it out you know, uh, to hear. So I, I love that approach. Uh, yeah, I think tool, the, the word you used, speaking about it as a tool is exactly right. I mean, it's, you know, this week I also bought a trumpet mouthpiece puller because like yep. that's job <laughs> done. So then my students will say, I want to record this song or I want to make a track for a silent film or whatever. So then it, the discussion becomes, okay, well, how do we get to that end point? And, you know, what role can the, can the different technology play in you achieving that? That's great. Well, so to kind of um, bring that and funnel it down to what what you mentioned earlier about Note Flight and Soundtrap, maybe you could tell our listeners what types of activities you're doing, you know, specifically, what are the kids doing with Soundtrap and what are they doing with Note Flight? Sure. Um, well, let me speak to Note Flight first, just because I'd mentioned the, um, the composers in our instrumental performance ensemble. Um, so, I mean, we primarily use that as our composition tool, um, and then also so the students can turn it into arrangements for the group. Um, and you know, then I start feeling old because now I'm telling back in my day stories of like, I had to go to the Albany public library and get a book to learn how to transpose all these instruments and you can just hit a button. Uh, (laughs) But even that I, you know, I, I always sound foolish and they, it's not that easy because you could hit a button incorrectly or type the wrong thing. So, um, you know, one of the, the concerns I hear from other educators about, you know, incorporating this kind of technology is then students don't have to learn the real deal, but like the theory behind it or anything, but I've never found that to be the case. I think it opens up those discussions of, okay, you tried this now, you know, we can see your score in concert pitch. Now, when you put the transpositions, um, the tenor sax is playing 18 ledger lines above the staff. I don't think that will work. Um, yeah. And then they can use that as a starting point for peer evaluation. So once they compose a note flight and they print out a draft, I have them go around to every player in the group. Cause as a composer, when else are you going to be able to have an entire ensemble at your disposal to give you feedback? Yeah, never. It's, it's yeah. such a great opportunity. So I'll say to them, like, bring it to the cellist and say, is this something that a cello, you know, that a cellist would play? Is this something typical of a trumpet part? And they could say, well, maybe I'll move this down an octave or, we that interval is really difficult for us um so that may be obvious and an obvious use of note flight but that's where we find it most productive um and then soundtrap is 
is where we do a lot of our work. Um, we've, I mentioned silent film scores before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're not dragging the video into Soundtrap, but they're queuing up, say, a Charlie Chaplin film or a little excerpt they can find and, you know, queuing in all the, the events that they want to create sounds for. Um, we're doing soundscapes um, inspired by different paintings or photographs and composing music that's inspired by a visual. Mm-hmm. A lot of remixes. So we'll do, uh, in ninth grade, we'll do a short little one or two week thing on Gregorian chant, but then we'll juxtapose it against other modern musical forms. And last year, the students did a remix of uh, Hotline Bling by Drake in like inspired by Gregorian chant. Oh, that's awesome. uh, <laughs> and they, they were really wild. And then um, one of our um, excellent PE instructors um, heard it and was like, hey, I'm doing a movement and dance unit in my class. Can, can we use that? And within a class, her students had choreographed um, a movement along to the music. Wow, that's uh, very and, cool. Yeah, and, and I think that's the kind of like... Um, that's what I also really love about this environment is just being, when you are able to bring in these new ideas, uh, it just generates a lot of collaborations that weren't available um, with the traditional offerings I I was sort of limited to in the past. Right. Um, And then we also do, um, for the songwriting class, they can't all be in here using Pro Tools all the time with the studio mics. Uh, So we use Soundtrap uh, with the Snowball microphones for them to create demo tapes um, in Soundtrap. Yep. Um, and so a lot of digital composition that way. So they're using Soundtrap kind of like the, a scratch, uh, scratch recording, mocking up a demo mm-hmm. um, so that then they know what they're doing when they go into the recording studio. Exactly. Or they're, you know, they're coming up with, you know, so they're recording live parts maybe if they're instrumentalists, but if they're students that don't come with a lot of instrumental, you know, maybe they're um, inserting a loop. Um, or doing something like that to get their point across. And then sometimes, you know, if it's appropriate, we have the discussion, okay, so you've got this drum part. How do we locate a drummer who can play something like this? And then how do we convey that information? Do we just play them a recording and they copy? Do you have to try to learn how to write out the notation for this for certain drummers? Um, So it leads into all these other um, activities we can go into. So do you, do do you use the um, collaborate feature in Soundtrap at all, or, or is it primarily the students are doing their own work and they're having student, other students come to their computer and say, hey, look, can you record this on my, on my track, or are you using the collaborate feature? Uh, we use the collaborate feature, but I don't think they've used it so much on the demo tapes. I think on the demo tapes, they're thinking more, um, almost the way they would do it in the studio, of like laying down one track and then having a friend come in and lay down another track on it. Cool. Um, we used the collaborate. I used it with middle schoolers last year um, and high schoolers too. So when they're, um, I'm trying to think of a project we have coming up um, that's um, sort of like a modern take on an old folk song. So what, like one student will pick a folk song and compose an original piece of music that's inspired by that folk song, by elements of it. And then they'll collaborate with someone else in the class who then repurposes it. Um and adds their own things and then it gets passed around again. Yep. Um, so we're almost taking on, you know, co-composers and also the role of like a producer changing what the person before them has done. And, Got and it. Now are you, uh, forgive my ignorance on this one, but are you using NoteFlight and Soundtrap as uh, standalone software titles or are you using it as part of the music first classroom? 
using is part of the music first classroom. So we, um, the, we'll put the assignments, like everyone's through the portal in music first and we'll, we'll put all the assignments up there. Right. Um, them to be able to get launch into, you know, I'll set up the templates and soundtrack or whatever for them to be able to just open up their assignment and have it and then submit their work uh, through music first. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we don't use the grading feature just for, um, we keep all our grades on a um, internal server, yep. but, but just for, you know, disseminating the assignments and everything. Yeah. We use the platform. Very cool. So are you, are, are you using any of our onboarding materials? Like we have a intro to note flight intro to soundtrap with the kids. Or are you writing that yourself? Uh, in terms of getting the students familiar with it? Yeah. Um, no, I'm, I'm sort of guiding them through those things. Um, which now when you say that, I'm like, gosh, that sounds like a good thing to do. Yeah, no, uh, check it out. We have like a introduction to soundtrap for the kids and it gives them like five activities to do. Okay, cool. uh, it's a really great, you know, beginning of the year uh, type of uh, activity. Um, but I'm sure the kids, I mean, I'm sure there are a couple of questions that have come up while you've been talking because I'm fascinated about your program. But just to kind of get the little uh, end point on the, on the music first side of things. Um, uh, the the kids don't have any or do the kids have any issues with learning note flight and soundtrap or do you or do they find it intuitive um soundtrap is intuitive note flight i find sometimes the same anxieties about notation that i would find if we were doing it on any program yeah with or even with just you know pencil and paper right so it's that it's that added language and the specificity of the language uh, you know, Soundtrap, you take all that away. You're just kind of documenting your ideas. But in NoteFlight, you're, it's almost a post-composition activity, if you know what I mean, where like you've already composed a melody. The, the way I use notation software when I was uh, composing re- pretty frequently was it was my idea pad. I would, I, would write, I would write things out and then hear how it sounded and then, and then tweak uh, but I think a lot of the students, especially the way you've you've been describing your program, are the opposite way. They they want to sing it first and then figure out how to notate it. I don't know what your approach is because mm-hmm. notation software in general is one of those things where music educators are so attached to it. Um, but the students sometimes are like, "This is right like writing in Braille for me. I don't know how to do this." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think the students. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe the majority of them, not overwhelming, but, you know, prefer to document their ideas that they already have. I mean, right. I think, it's to, you know, I, we could find 10 students and probably find 10 different ways that they approach it. But, exactly. uh, you know, I think some students like to, um, maybe the students who feel a little more hesitant um, about uh, standard notation might just try to jot a few things down and hit play and see what it sounds like and then surprise themselves and go, Oh, that sounds good. I'll go with that. Yeah. 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 It also leads to, you know, some really fun activities for us when someone composes something that's, um, next to impossible to play. Right. Right. That right. sounds great. And then we'll be like, well, I don't know. And then they're like, no, I really want to stick with this. And then we have a fun time trying to <laughs> yeah, something crazy but cool and are are they using o generator at all to make beats because that, that, that uh, no we like... don't use o generator no okay you have it right but the kids haven't tried it uh not that i'm aware of no all right uh no. we'll make we'll make sure that you get it because it's included now as of september um every kid uh again for our listeners it's it is a beat making app 
that kids absolutely love. So Mike, as soon as this is over, I'll make sure you have access to it. Uh, definitely uh, go and check this out or check it out. It's, it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So, um, so anyway, while you were talking, a whole bunch of questions came up about your program in general that I think everyone else listening will have as well. First is, so you designed this whole program yourself because it is so unique what I'm hearing. Mm. It can only happen in my opinion, if, if you have a blank canvas and you say, this is what we're going to do. So you, you develop the whole program yourself. Yeah, so I was brought on board, you know, a few months before the school officially opened. So this is our second year in existence. So right. we began, you know, summer of 2000, I guess, 17. Um, and, you know, I was already in my mind fleshing out tons of ideas, but that summer really formalizing it all. Um, and, you know, one of the challenges, well, there's, there's so many things, right? So the you know, it's easy for people to think, well, you like to do something different. So you, you know, you must not like tradition or you must not value these things. Right, and, right, right. You know, that's, uh, that's definitely not, you know, couldn't be further from the truth. Um, so, but in reality, so you can say at my other schools, okay, I have these limitations. Let me push the envelope and try new things. Um, which I have to say sometimes is easier because given the, the blank canvas, you're like, cool, I get to try all these things. But then you have the challenges of, I always thought this would be a good idea. Is it actually a good idea now that yeah. I see living? Um, and fortunately, I think because I've, I've thought about these things for years and um, tried to be mindful about implementing them, I think they've worked. But, um, you know, one thing is is ensembles. And, and when we create a program like ours that uh, caters to bringing in tons of musicians, and you might remember this from my dissertation, it's the problem I've been wrestling with for years, which is, okay, so if we have a student who wants to apply to a university music program, but they've received this more, I would call general education of music, where you started, you know, trying out all these different mediums and forms, as you know, most schools still require a very standard audition to get in. Yep. And I'm doing students who want to do that track at the service if, um, if they don't have the tools they need to do what they want to do. Exactly. So we definitely are adjusting as we go next year. We're, we're going to, you know, start um, working specifically with a course with students who, who want to go in that direction and make sure they have all the tools and resources and knowledge they need going forward. Um, but something that we've done a lot better this year is offering these uh, performance ensembles. So as you said, so performance ensembles are usually the center of what a school does. Our school, it's exactly the opposite. So, composing, songwriting, all these other things is the center of what we do. And the performance ensembles for the most part are extracurricular. Right. Um, so I have no problem getting up with a baton and doing a, a quote traditional rehearsal with the middle school orchestra because the students came to me and said, we want an orchestra. Here's a list of people that want to do it. Let's meet every week at this time. And here we go. So we do it. Um, right. And we have middle school and high school rock bands and we have a middle school choir um, we're going to have accredited, you know, vocal ensemble in the future. So um, just trying to balance, you know, the things you want to do with also looking at it on the ground and saying, is this still reaching every student, as many students as we can? It's truly providing a well-rounded music education, period. I mean, you are, you're really getting to every aspect, which... You know, I've been talking about for years, I'm sure we're on the same wavelength, that it's not all performance, there's also listening and composing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's just great to hear. Um, how many other faculty members are there? Are you, are you the whole show? Um, me and one other um, right. instructor this year. So you're, you're busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're both super busy, but um, yeah, I think we're being very mindful um, of, of um, taking small steps and not trying to do too much at a time. Right, and um, building. Because you, are you adding students in sixth grade every year, or are you saying now we have an 11th grade next year, and, and if students happen to be in 11th grade, they can apply to get in? Is that how it's working? It's, so we had last year, we started as a six, seven, nine. And then those students moved up. Um, so certainly we'll have a new incoming sixth grade every year from now right. on. And then, right. you know, a few spots in each grade, I would imagine, um, each year. But that'll be like the, the crux of the new course will come from our middle school. So what I really appreciate this year about having um, my really wonderful colleague, um, Dr. Lisa Crawford, is um, she has a, a, a vast background in composition. And we had the conversation of, you know, where do we want students what what um, what proficiencies do we want them um, skills to have when they when they come into ninth grade? So what I was trying to do in that ninth grade music class, music in class, we've been able to disseminate and provide over grade six, seven, and eight, so that by the time they get to high school, they've already spent a little time in the recording studio. They've oh, used cool. um, they've used Soundtrap and they've used Note Flight, and then so next year will be. Is that correct? to next year will be students who've been with us seven, eight, and then coming into high school. Yep, yep. It'll be interesting to see how providing that instruction throughout middle school um, translates into how my curriculum in high school will change next year. Right, so uh, again, the other question I think everyone else would be asking, there's two, is how much time, you know, how much time do you have with these students per day for composition? And then the other question, the follow-up is, where are these kids coming from? Are they coming from all around LA or is it, is it a charter school? So the first part is, like, how much time do you have with them to do composition? Because I think a lot of people fear that, that, oh, this must take forever. Uh, and I only have, you know, 42 minutes once a week. So first about your schedule and second about where, where these kids are coming from. Sure. Um, with the schedule, um I mean, it's four times a week it, for, for it's one seventy-five minute block and then three 45 minute blocks. So, you know, it's mostly every day, right. but I've been at, you know, I've been at other schools where we meet five times a week. So, um, and then I've been at schools where we meet once or twice a week. Um, so I will also certainly acknowledge that having the time we have uh, allows us to do things, but yep. I would also, you know, like to point out that I was doing these activities, albeit without you know, without having access to music first or, you know, being at a bring your own device school, um, best you could throughout my entire career. I mean, I remember in 2005 trying to buy a, um, an MP3 recorder, which is, you know, <laughs> feels obsolete. And yeah. I think it was obsolete when it came out and you, uh, just trying to record the, the group at that time and composing original music. Um, so I think it's just more of a, a philosophical shift away from performance. Um, but I also have a very supportive um, faculty here and, and colleagues and parents and students who are willing to, um, to go with me on this, this trip of prioritizing composition. Yeah, and is it, is it year round or is it by marking period? Uh, music for, um, 
So UCLA operates in quarters, and we, okay. we call them trimesters because our kids are here for three. Um, the middle schoolers each year, six, seven, and eight, are here for one trimester in music, four times a week. And then in high school, it's year long, four times a week. Okay. And so, yeah, the follow-up question then is where, where are these students being pulled from? Is it a, is it a because is Geffen Academy's primary mission, is, is it a comprehensive school or is it focused on performing arts? And then where are these kids coming from? I mean, we focus on, on all, of our, all of our academic departments. Right. Um, not a performing arts school. Um, we are, our grounding is that we provide academic inspiration and depth within a humane environment. So um, I love that student equity and access and um, just, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that really sort of sums up in, in all the aspects of the work we do. Um, we draw students from all over LA from different backgrounds. So I think we, we draw students from over 60 zip, different zip codes in the Los Angeles area. We have students who've gone to uh, independent schools. We have students from public schools and charter schools. Um, so I think we, you know, we truly represent the diversity and the richness of our uh, surrounding community. Oh, that's fabulous. Mm -hmm. So, so both, both uh, socioeconomic strata and um, you have kids from every stripe, uh, all in one, all in one great, sounds like super supportive environment. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I think that's, uh, that's purposeful and valued. And, um, and you know that, you know, making sure every student voice is heard and family's concerns. And these are important things that don't get discussed at every school. Um, Correct. As I've evidenced by many of the places I've been in the past. Yep. Um, but I think, you know, starting, like you said, with a, with a blank canvas allowed us to, you know, I, I work with some people who are just just amazing at what they do and just so brilliant um and it's just so great and why i love working here too that we value these things and we say how do we make every student voice heard and how do we make everyone feel valued in our community regardless of um what their backgrounds are that's awesome oh man i'm really looking forward to being there in person so mike i have a just two last questions for you i appreciate the time you've taken with me uh today the first one and I ask these two of everybody uh, that I talk with, is what advice would you give to other music teachers who are thinking of incorporating music technology into their programs? They might not have the opportunity to do what you've done, which I just think is magnificent. But from a tech perspective, you know, based on your experience, the, the good and bad and ugly, what advice would you give? Um, your first guest last week, or your, your guest on the podcast, the first one was Sean Alongo, right? Yes, that's correct. I, when I was listening to her, I literally like almost said the same thing she did at the same time. Like when she said, oh, I just thought about Nike. I'm like, you're right, just do it. Like right. I was, oh, we're in total agreement on this. Um, is just try it. And I think that's, um, you know, now presenting at conferences, you know, I'll get the question, well, you have a school that, you know, you're allowed to have this space and the support. And yes, I fully acknowledge uh, that that is a really great situation. However, the overwhelming part of my career has been at places where I've really had a fight for that. Um, so, and I don't think at its core, the work I'm doing here is very different than what I've done during my whole career. It's just right. students to have different experiences with music making. Um, so any way that you could find it, I mean, there was a, a student last year, a seventh grader told me about this program. I don't know if you know, Jim, it's called beep box. Yep. Um, the, the little like eight bit video yep. game thing. And, and that launched into, I heard it and then 
went home and wrote a few lesson plans around that. And students were, you know, it helped them conceptualize melody and up and down with pitch. Um, and it was just a lot of fun to do. Um, and that's free. And students have phones and the computers. And even if you only have one computer, coming up with some kind of rotating schedule where everyone gets a turn. Um, or one year I had a school that, you know, really lacked a, a lot of many, many resources. Um, but I was able to get a grant and, you know, work with Little Kids Rock um, to get some instruments. And then we just took an iPad and recorded their compositions. And that's what technology looked like that year. Um, so, you know, making use of whatever's available to you. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I, for most of my career, I taught in very, very wealthy districts that gave me no money in my budget. So I brought in my own computer. I wasn't about to let a lack of funding or a lack of access for me personally as a teacher stop me from doing what I thought the students needed. Mm -hmm. um, and I brought in my laptop and I would show them, I, I would be teaching with it and then I'd bring my administrator in and say, just watch, watch what I can do with, you know, and, and often that led to the administrator saying, I totally see the value. Mm -hmm. What do you need? And, you know, it, that, I think it worked every time where they would say, what do you need? What can I do to make this? And then I said, all right, I, you know, I need a couple hundred dollars to get this going. I think when they see it, when administrator, don't, I guess the advice I'm giving is don't give up. Uh, if first just do it, but if you're not getting any support funding wise, there is a lot of free stuff, but invite your administrators in when you're doing some cool stuff and see what they say. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, getting the word to parents too, no matter, you know, where you teach is like, if parents see their students learning a lot and just having fun in the comments I get now is, you know, Dr. Albertson, um, my, my child played this instrument coming in and has always been a band kid or whatever. And now every night is home composing music on the computer or writing songs on the guitar or, um, listening to music they never listened to before. Um, that's pretty cool. <laughs> what, what positive things can come. So once you hear, once parents hear that, I think, you know, school leaders are certainly, um, happy to hear those. Yep. All right, man. So final question for you, I ask everybody is if you could wave a magic wand and have either music first or music technology in general, have be able to do something that it can't do now, what would it be? And I think I know what you're going to say. <laughs> okay. Um, so I've thought about this. Uh, and I actually have to tell you that I don't want a magical solution to anything. Wow. Did you think that? No, no. I thought you were going to say add video to Soundtrap because, you know, when you do when you do that film scoring. By the way, that is the number one. I said this on the first podcast yeah. as well. All right, that's cool. That's good. Well, that would hear. be nice, but that wouldn't be my. I, I I don't put that for magic wand status for me. Um, right. I definitely would enjoy that, but um, I so I think the way uh, I approach the the curriculum design here and and throughout my career, but is really it's really problem solving. So it's, okay, your assignment is to write a song and you need to incorporate, so maybe we're studying ostinato and you need to include three different ostinati, and this could be for a rock song or a classical piece. And uh, you need, to, everyone in the group needs to play a different instrument. So then inevitably they come to the point where, well, I don't, <laughs> the four of us, one person doesn't know how to play this instrument. So then it becomes a problem solving activity. Well, then how do I go about it? Um, and I feel that way with music tech. I feel like anything that can't be done, um, obviously or quickly then becomes a learning opportunity for us to problem solve, say, 
well, how can we do film scoring if we can't drag the video in? Oh, it's great. Try to do it anyway. What a great uh, attitude. I love that. That's fantastic. I think it's how I've learned. Um, I think it's, um, I learned that from my dad. Just like, try it. And if you make a mistake, you know, that's okay. Just try it again. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't, I'm definitely the type of learner who, when I'm learning Pro Tools, is I just sit with Pro Tools and I just experiment. And I'm like, oh, that didn't work. And then I go to a uh, tutorial online if I need something specific. Um, and I, I think it's translated for most of my students, I hope. I'm sure. Well, Mike, it's been absolutely a pleasure to speak with you. I truly uh, uh, love what you're doing, and I can't wait to visit you uh, in person. If, if people wanted to get in touch with you, what would be the best way for them to do so? Um, you can email me here. Um, as we found out going back and forth, I don't think my Gmail is working anymore for some mysterious reason. So M is in Michael, M Albertson um, at geffenacademy.ucla.edu. Awesome. Um, off all social media now. So very good. Get me on anything, and I have to say I'm quite enjoying it. <laughs> I, I I wish I could, man. It's great. Well, anyway, Mike, thanks so much for being with us, and I and I look forward to hearing great things about you in the future. Can't wait to see you, Jim. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening.